welcome to Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals. I'm your host, Lauren Edelstein with North Star Meetings Group. Eventful, the podcast, is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with people in our business about topics that really should be on your radar. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. The restrictions on in-person gatherings over the past 16 months has brought about an unprecedented embrace of digital events by meeting planners. But for Mahogany Jones, founder and CEO of Toronto-based event specialists, going virtual was something her company had already been doing for more than a decade. In this episode of Eventful, the podcast for meeting professionals, Jones discusses how she has been applying the lessons learned as a longtime producer of virtual events and how the growth of hybrid is opening up new ways for planners to extend the life of their meetings. Here, she discusses how to drive value before and after the event itself through smart monetization opportunities, digging into audience data, and more. But first, this episode of Eventful is sponsored by Hubelo. Struggling to make events profitable? Actionable insights about your attendees. That's the missing piece in your strategy. Maximize your ROI with Hubelo's hybrid event platform that tracks 60-plus metrics across key attributes such as engagement, networking, and exhibitor ROI. Segment attendees, create targeted campaigns, and identify patterns across events to personalize content and increase engagement consistently. And that's not all. With a dedicated customer support team, ensure that your every event executes perfectly every time. Move to Hublo, the hybrid platform built for event excellence. So Fully Transparent Event Specialist is a hybrid event production company. So we've been producing hybrid events since 2008. So for us, the pandemic actually just meant more virtual opportunities, but we actually didn't have to pivot. We didn't have to change the website. The only thing I added to the website was the word platforms, which became a buzzword. But other than that, it was already our zone of genius. So yeah, not that much changing, but in in some ways you emphasize the virtual more than how was that change in balance, I guess, of what you were doing? Was it just using the practices you already had in place for generating revenue for virtual and just kind of doubling down on that? Or did you look for new ways to monetize virtual? Absolutely. I feel like the struggle always came with what is that balance? So for us as a hybrid producer first, we always began with the event strategy and the virtual side was a strategy to enhance our reach of the in-person audience. When pandemic hit, obviously, when everyone went fully virtual, I honestly um, dug my heels in, in that strategy remains the same, goals remain the same, It's the execution that has changed. And I really didn't want our fellow planners and our clients and everyone to panic with all of a sudden we don't have. It became a mindset of we don't have opportunities for our sponsors. We don't have the same ability to meet people. We don't have. And I really want to reinforce that the pandemic allowed us to reimagine what we're doing. And I like to remind our planners to go back to our core foundation in that we're project managers and we are experts at what we do. So when you're looking at the virtual side of an event, yes, we went all in virtual, but I I challenged and I even challenged clients to keep their sponsorship packages the same. You defined that value of what your sponsors would receive in person, redefine what that value is 
for the virtual experience. And then when it comes to moving forward with your overall budgets, yes, yes, I don't want to say that everything was rosy for all companies. I mean, yes, some organizations did lose full budgets, but other organizations were able to sit within the same budgets and maximize what they were already doing well. They were able to repurpose those travel budgets, the food and beverage budgets, and the venue budgets to things that aligned more with their core values and what the objective of the event was. It also allowed us to really look at what the objective of the event was. Did we need to keep it? And if we did need to keep it, what really is the dollar value attached to that that was going to help your bottom line? So having a look at all of those things, I feel like brought a lot of the challenges to light. It brought a lot of challenges in that. Are we actually, were we actually measuring the ROI of that event pre-pandemic? Were we actually running a successful event or we just thought we did? And now was the chance to really relook at those numbers without giving up too much. I mean, we set our budgets a year ago. We didn't know the pandemic was going to hit. And in my opinion, dropping your budget 50% because that is what you feel you would need to do isn't founded on data. It's not founded on any facts. It's not founded on how you would like to move forward with your event. So really digging into value and objectives and keeping those in line allows you to continue to make a profit on the event. You've really found some creative ways and and effective ways to monetize virtual. And maybe we can talk about that. One of the ones you mentioned on your writings about this is to offer a paid upgrade or to offer upsells and cross-sells. Maybe you could talk about that and how those are effective monetization strategies for whether it's virtual. Absolutely. The virtual summit and the virtual event, I call it a crisis. I felt like, and I say crisis in the sense that all of a sudden we felt like virtual meant free. And in my opinion, it's only free if it is part of your strategy. The virtual event still has to be paid for in some form or fashion. So with that comes the strategy behind your pricing. If you can afford to give the event to your members for free, I mean, a lot of times we see that with educational content, different membership engagement strategies, the events are free. But free to the attendee does not mean that there isn't a line item attached to that. And that's where I feel like sometimes we need to reevaluate what it is we're charging and how we're charging. If you do, in fact, want to offer a free event, I mean, there's nothing wrong with offering free, but what are you going to do to, to offset those costs? So is there a sponsorship strategy that can be attached to that? Can we borrow money from a different line item? Can this now be a marketing expense that we can use? Is it a professional development line item that we can use? Can we borrow from the venue line items that we've had previously? Where is the money going to come from? Events don't just appear and they don't just happen. So we shouldn't treat them as such by saying they're free and assuming that there are no expenses tied to it. As you were saying, not charging for an event can have its advantages. And one of them, I think a lot of planners saw in this last year was the reach you get with virtual events that you don't get with in person. And that was something you mentioned too, that enhancing the reach of, of, of virtual right. uh, audience and that this can then lead to maybe these, someone who attends virtually will be able, will then be able to, to get them to come to an in-person event later. Maybe on that front, do you have strategies for getting more out of audience data or, or get a lot more value from that person that maybe attends the event at no cost virtually, but then you're monetizing that 
as a customer over time. Absolutely. I mean, that was prevalent in the hybrid model, which is why a lot of us planners went to the hybrid model to add a virtual audience because it extended our reach and allowed us to reach everyone. If you're a national organization, reach them nationally, international if you're in an international organization. But the gift of having a hybrid event pre-pandemic allowed people to have that, what I was calling the accidental audience, because it, it opened up doors that weren't necessarily available. If I look at the last 18 months-ish, events have evolved to the sense that we're looking for content. You're looking for new ways to not only serve yourself, and I say that because we attend events because we would like to be there, but you've also looked for new ways to grow your own company, to grow your own skill set. I mean, how many people lost current opportunities and looked to the virtual space to find something new? So being able to extend your reach with a virtual audience has been in my opinion, a gift. And I will say a lot of the free events does mean a lower show up rate. I mean, that has always been a given. I mean, that was a given in person or online. Now add the ability to walk away from the event. And obviously your retention rate is a little bit uh, lower, but same principles still apply. You now have the ability to reach more, to grow more in the audience. The one challenge I will say that is presenting itself is that we're in a crowded, crowded marketplace. Everyone is selling, I'll say selling their wares almost, because I feel like every event can be pitched to almost every industry right now. So now we have to be mindful in how we're promoting our events to make sure that we are presenting the true value that we want our attendees to receive so that if it is free, free, but what is the value? And if it, there's a charge to that, why should I give my money to your event versus another one? So really being open and honest of what you're producing and your intended outcomes to make sure that you bring that audience in. Yeah. And making it clear what the attendee can expect to gain from it. If everyone's right. got limited time, this is really important to clarify that. One of the other monetization strategies you mentioned was was becoming an affiliate for speakers and helping to kind of promote them in, in exchange for commission. So how does that work? How would say a planner or, or an event uh, an event organizer who hasn't done this yet take advantage of that opportunity and find use this as another way to monetize their virtual event? The use case is obviously variant based on industry and different business models that the organizers would have. I see this a lot more in the, we'll call them the entrepreneurial space, in that they're hosting virtual summits as a lead generation strategy to gain clients and brand awareness. So using that type of strategy to bring people in using and leveraging, I guess, your stakeholders as in your sponsors to promote is a great way to do that. And when we say affiliate, it's really just allowing them to promote the event. And then a percentage of the sales goes back to either the affiliate speakers. You, We used to see that, to be honest with you, with a lot of sponsors. How many sponsor passes were able to be given out by your sponsors at your in-person event where there was a percentage off, which actually went back to the sponsor as an affiliate. So it's really just repurposing the strategies that we used to a model that's more conducive to being online. If it's an event that you really want to showcase to a new audience, we're starting to see the rise of what I'm calling like co-locating of events. So we're seeing different associations come together. It's also a good way to track where the leads are actually coming from and who is truly bringing in your audience. And if it only costs you 
the 5% or 10% that you're giving your affiliates, that's a huge win for both. You're turning them into additional evangelizers for the event and getting right. up and get the word out. And the co-locating is, is an interesting idea. Have you done events like that? Are you planning any events? Because that's almost its own kind of hybrid, multiple mm-hmm. in, in person. But that approach seems like it has a lot of potential, especially in this transitional time where maybe smaller events are easier to organize than the large events. Yeah, I had the privilege of joining another team. I feel like in March of 2020, All of us planners just wanted to do something for the industry. So everybody wanted something. But with that came 17,000 different events you could attend. So what a group of planners did actually spearheaded by Hub. So Allie over at Hub, she started an event called Untethered. And Untethered was unbelievably successful because she brought together everyone whose ideas, everyone who had these ideas of an event industry event, brought them together, put them all on one stage. We all were part of the planning team and produced something phenomenal. Another great example, which was actually pre-pandemic, was the is the event. The event is actually called the event right. based on the three MPI chapters. I want to say it's Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. They came together to create one event, but it's different chapters that come together. So I don't know why we always view everything as a competition when things could actually be a collaboration. And I started to see that. I didn't unfortunately have the privilege of producing, but I did see it from associations in the U.S. who actually came together to pool their budgets to be able to pull off the event and save membership because they didn't have the same revenues available to them. But borrowing funds and working together also shares audience, shared resources. And I say shared resources in the sense that it's more than money, like the learnings that you would get from the other planning teams. What data do they collect? How do they drive attendance? How do they drive registration? What do they see work well for them? And then vice versa. What does that, what does that look like for you? Putting that together makes magic. Like we have more opportunities instead of being competitive. Yeah, that's great. Seeing seeing these folks as partners, being you're, you've that's got right. partner opportunities that maybe, and that's some, one of the things the pandemic has led people to really having to think outside the box and maybe finding these partnerships that wouldn't have occurred to them before. But hopefully, when this time is of uh, rebuilding, there's they're seeing more opportunities for that. Now, and as in-person events return, we're seeing more planners embrace hybrid, as we, we've talked about, and which you've, you've been doing for, for a while at this point. How, how does having both in-person and digital programming impact pricing decisions and, and monetization opportunities? So as we begin to see this transition coming, I mean, a little, it's a little slower for us here, obviously, in Canada, but it is opening up in many, many places. In my opinion, I feel like this new hybrid model is a huge opportunity. Like I said before, this whole mindset that we can't do or we don't have limitations when it comes to space for your in-person, I feel like is a huge advantage. Think of it as an opportunity of that micro experience. So you're now able to have the in-person audience have a a different in-person experience that is unique to them that is almost VIP. And with that comes a different price tag. As we are seeing a difference in pricing when it comes to venues, venues now opening up, obviously they have, I don't want to say the the pick of the litter, but there's a lot of people beating down their doors to host events again. So with that is different price tags. So we do still have to now cover 
when you're thinking hybrid, what is in person and things to be considered that you didn't have to consider is really down to things like audio and lighting, which is really your biggest challenge when it comes to producing virtually. I will say the pandemic with the amount of virtual events that we've done, the bar has been raised. So shoddy video, choppy video is no longer accepted to the virtual audience. One camera angles is also not as accepted. I know that sounds funny, but we're so used to fully produced virtual events that we're expecting that, even if it's a hybrid format. So really to maximize budget, think of your in-person AV and how you can use that to leverage to the virtual audience. Most of our AV companies now are well-versed in streaming to the platforms that you choose. Use the license that you purchased. I think that's one thing that a lot of planners actually didn't realize is many of the platforms they purchased in the last year come with a year license. And it's still able to be used yeah. and maximize that. Also, there's other ways to stream to virtual audiences that are different. Streaming to directly to your website, making things available. There are always options in different tiers. It'd be like asking an AV company to give you a quote and not expecting it to be super high. But it doesn't mean you can't negotiate. What are your non-negotiables for your audience? So a true hybrid, just for those who are still kind of up in the air and what that means, is the marriage of an in-person and an online event. These attendees in person and online follow a similar journey. I didn't say the same journey. They follow a similar journey in that the outcomes that you want the in-person audience to have should be the same outcomes that your online audience has. It's the delivery that would be different. That's great. Is there any other <laughs> points you think should be made as far as the, the question of generating revenue from virtual or hybrid or, or the ways that a planner should be thinking about this. How should planners be be thinking as they're looking at all the tools available or uh, soon to be available to them? I always like to say, start with what you do well. I know we've been challenged to produce all of these virtual events this year or to continue to, and I'll say overproduce, because while many felt like there were no events, others were bombarded with the number of events that they now had to produce the one thing I will say when it comes to hybrid and as we get back into hybrid, I mean, I felt like I was beating the hybrid drum for years because I see true value in a hybrid, but really look at how you can maximize what you're doing well. And also look at the, we'll call it the customer journey for that event. An event does not have to be a one time, one and done event. That is part of the problem, I believe, comes from the monetization strategies and where we seem to fall short. If we look at the events as a, a marketing strategy, you have pre-event, during the event, and post-event. Post-event is most often the missed out piece um, and the missing piece when it comes to producing an event. So if you think of the pre-event marketing and how much buzz you can build, how much money you can generate by the pre-content, I mean, now we're seeing ways to do fun pop-ups. I mean, we're even seeing things like a clubhouse that is a, a way to meet and greet before the event happens. And then that brings both audiences together. And then when we get to the in-person and online audience, the hybrid day of the event, everything is happening that day. 
and then marrying the two and allowing them to communicate through the app or whichever technology that you've paired to that tech stack allows them to stay connected. And then we can't forget that we have just produced a day or two or three of content. And then what can we use that for after the fact? We can repurpose that content. We can sell that content as a membership benefit. We can sell it as a new way of generating even more revenue from sales. We can use it to leverage registrations for the next year. Like there are other ways to monetize your event outside of the eight hours that you're producing for. And I feel like it's time that we go back to that strategy and really look at the event marketing cycle and how you can extend the life of the event, which will also extend the revenue capabilities and opportunities of your event. And I think that that's one of the lessons, hopefully a lot of people have taken away from this, this pandemic. This event isn't the be all end all. There's, there's a lot more opportunities, a lot more gray area, an ongoing conversation. Well, this was wonderful, Mahogany. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat. Absolutely. This episode of Eventful is sponsored by Hubelo. Struggling to make events profitable? Actionable insights about your attendees. That's the missing piece in your strategy. Maximize your ROI with Hubelo's hybrid event platform that tracks 60 plus metrics across key attributes such as engagement, networking, and exhibitor ROI. Segment attendees, create targeted campaigns, and identify patterns across events to personalize content and increase engagement consistently. And that's not all. With a dedicated customer support team, ensure that your every event executes perfectly every time. Move to Hubelo, the hybrid platform built for event excellence. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review us and check back for new episodes soon.